it is well with my soul in difficult times. We learn how well it really is with our soul in good times. And we have to admit that we have, as God's people, even those who don't know God, we have more of a time where it's well than a time when it's not well. I think about the day when someone says, uh, we're often asked, how was your day? And sometimes one moment in our day becomes the expression of our entire day. And I think that uh, I've tried at least in my life to not allow one moment, one episode in my day to be the expression of my entire day, the totality of my day. There's more good uh, than there is bad. And thank God for that because God is good. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and divine name and thank you so, so very much for allowing us to be here today. Again, to worship you, Lord God, to honor your name, to learn what the message that you would like for us to have this day, to become stronger in our faith, Lord God, to fight against the schemes of Satan, to fight for our souls. Thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to be here this day, to worship you, for giving us the strength every day to continue to keep the faith. Thank you, Lord God, for blessing us to be here this day, to remember Jesus, your great son, who died that we might live, for that amazing sacrifice that you've made in our behalf. Help us never to forget. We praise you, love you, and thank you. In that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we pray if it be thy will. Amen. The question that often comes up, and by the way, it's great to see all of you here, both those physically and those um, in, in video land, right? <laughs> video world. Um, tonight, the law of morality, that's what I'm going to give it as far as a title. But I'm going to give you three different ideas, and you choose which one you'd like uh, to fit for this particular message. But we've been talking about the Sabbath day, and we could we could sidetrack into the law of Moses. But we're not going to go into the law of Moses. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about that other law. What law were the Gentiles judged by? Or did they have no law at all? And we're going to look at that. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. Um, the Jews had the law of Moses, right? The law of the Lord and the law of Moses are the same law. So if the Jews had the law of Moses and the law of the Lord, then what law did the Gentiles have? Or were the Gentiles allowed to just live a free life and, and they have no law? In fact, I've even had the question asked of me, if the Jews were God's chosen people, does that mean that everyone that was not a Jew was lost and, and didn't get a chance to go to heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, the, the Jews and the Gentiles both are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, but the question is, by what law were the Gentiles judged by? That's a really important question. We want to try and look at that over, and we can't do this in one sermon, so we'll take a few sermons to go through it. It is an unwritten law, but it is a law. And I want us to take a look to discover what that law is. First of all, God's predetermined plan was set in motion in the Garden of Eden. Now, obviously, God's predetermined plan was set in motion from the days of eternity. But the revelation to man was set in motion in the Garden of Eden. So, Genesis 3 and verse 15, after the sin of Adam and Eve, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head you shall bruise him on the heel. So this was God's introduction to his scheme of redemption to man. 
This is how God would save humanity through the blood of Jesus Christ. This motion, or this plan rather, is set in motion, and it's set in motion as a promise, not of works. If it were of works, uh, it wouldn't have worked, <laughs> because uh, sin has plagued humanity from uh, from the day that Adam and Eve sinned on the earth, and, and man would have messed it up. But instead, it's set in motion by God as a promise. So Genesis 12, beginning at verse 1, remember when God said to uh, Abraham that he had a place for him to go. In verse 1 he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, go to Galatians chapter 3. So here is God's promise. First, there's a land or a nation promise. There's also a land promise. But in this is also a spiritual promise. And that's the promise of faith. That later in Galatians chapter 3, God explains to us that this promise was not just for the Jew, but rather for the Jew and the Gentile. The Jew received the land promise. They received the uh, the, the people, if you will, promise of a nation uh, and later that translates for the Gentile into a spiritual promise of the nations with Jesus Christ on the cross. Verse 12 of Galatians chapter 3. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so this is a promise from God through faith. So, uh, back to Genesis, please, for just a moment. I'm going to go back to, actually, Exodus uh, chapter chapter 12. And I want to look at what what happens as Israel leaves the promised land. I want you to understand that when we're talking about about these people that received this law. It's this mixed group of the Hebrews as well as the Gentiles joined together that makes up this, this Israelite nation, if you will, uh, that God has made his promises to. In verse 37 of Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says, The sons of Israel journeyed uh, from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot aside from children, and a mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. And they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become unleavened unle- uh, since they went, were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. And so here's this, this mixed multitude that goes out of, out of Egypt. And, and the Bible goes on to say in verse 40, but now the time of that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came about at the end of 430 years uh, to the very day that all the hosts of the land of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So notice now there's a host of God's people that go out from this land. Now Deuteronomy chapter 5, he speaks to these people and he, if you will, begins a law. And that law is called the law of Moses or the law of the Lord. Deuteronomy 5 beginning at verse 1. 
Then the Lord summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord your God, our God, did not, excuse me, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horab. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. Now, all of those alive in that particular place in that time were what? That was that mixed multitude that came out of uh, this particular promised land or this land of Egypt where they were not supposed to be, which would later become the promised land uh, of God. They would come out of Egypt, they would go into a promised land, and this promised land would be the promise that God gives, the land of Canaan. And he gave that land of Canaan to all of his people. He made this, if you will, before this time. Was there a law? That's the question. Before Deuteronomy chapter 5. Before Exodus chapter 20, was there a law that mankind was to follow that God used to judge people by? That's the question. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. So it wasn't because they were great and wonderful, it was because God made a promise. Verse 8, but because the Lord loved you and kept an oath, which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, now... These people have this law, the law of Moses. But what about all of the other people, right? So we're going to call it, if you will, a patriarchal system. You want to call it the law of or morality or the law of foundations. However you want, whatever you want to name it, it really doesn't matter. It still comes back to the same idea and understanding that there was a law that God gave to people who were not of the Jewish nation, okay? Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And it is by that law that these people were judged. And some of them were judged to be acceptable and righteous and in a sense of with, you know, God reckoning it to them as he did the Jews. And some of them were wicked and evil. But by what law do you make that judgment call? Right? You have to have a law. So Romans 4 and the verse 15 There the Bible says, For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. So if the Gentiles didn't have a law, then God couldn't judge any of them as sinners. Because they couldn't sin. Because where there is no law, then there is no violation. There is no sin. There is no way to sin. In fact, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden could only commit one sin. Right? And that was the sin of uh, that God commanded them not to eat from the tree in the midst of the garden. Um... And if they were to eat from that tree, they would die. That would have been their sin. But other than that, there was no other law. Okay? Now, the next scripture I want to look at is Romans 5 and verse 13. Romans 5 and verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So now, it didn't mean that Adam and Eve lived perfectly, but there's no law to judge them by. If you will, God had not given them a law and said, if you do this, this is a sin. He gave them only one law. Now the question is, did the Gentiles have a law? 
So there's something that God put inside of us, right? Inside of all of us. And it even, it even runs along with the law of Moses, if you will. That, that's the 600 plus laws that God gave to Israel, the Jews. There's something inside of us that, that you kind of know, right? And that didn't come because uh, we're great or geniuses. It came because God put it in us. And there's this, this law of mind, that, that law of morality that says, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not rape. There's these laws that are innate. They're just inside of us. And, uh, and we kind of know uh, what we're supposed to do in regards to those things. Please look at uh, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. You know, when, when we, when we are children, we, we grow up and we, we, you know, we only know, we only know the truth, really, right? You know, and it's what, as we start to grow, then we start violating that, that truth that we know. You know, a child, did you, did you do this? In the, in the beginning, the child, well, yes. Even though they are going to get in trouble, but they don't understand that yet. They're growing, they're learning. And then we start doing things like this. We start telling our children to, to make excuses for us by telling people we're not home. Um, we're not available for the phone, right? And they start learning, oh, oh, I get it now, right? But there's this law that is inside of us. Acts 14, verse 16. I'm going to show you that as we go. I'm going to show it to you. And then the generations gone by permitted all the nations to go their own ways. So, so when God permitted them to go their own ways, does that mean that God said, you know what? I'll tell you what, you Jews... Here's your law, and you you follow it, and you follow it perfectly, um, or you're condemned. And you Gentiles, you you do whatever whatever you want. Well, that's partiality, isn't it? But God's not a partial God. God is not a partial God. And so, so God didn't do that. We know it doesn't make any sense, does it, to think that God would say, "Okay, there is no law for the Gentiles. Therefore, you Gentiles live however you want. You figure it out. I'll let you go your own way, and in the end, we'll we'll work things out." Right. Well, if God's a just God, which we know He is, by what law would God judge those Gentiles by? How could they stand before God on Judgment Day and God say you're guilty of sin, and then they say, "But God, where there is no law, there is no violation," and God will say you're right. So they all get to go to heaven then. Romans chapter two, Romans chapter two, let's begin at verse eleven. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. In that they show the works of the law written in their hearts and their conscience, bearing witness and their thoughts ultimately accusing or else defending them. Now here's a question. Here's a question. Um, as we read this and we think about this, here's a question. If in verse um, 11, or 12 rather, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And of course it's promises. What law is he talking about? Well there he's talking about the law of Moses. Okay, Romans 2, Romans 1 is written to the Gentiles and about the Gentiles, should I say. Romans 2 is written about the Jews and their law. And so he's saying the Gentiles, they don't have the law of Moses. They're not 
commanded to follow the law of Moses. But the question is, does this mean that there is no objective right or wrong for the Gentiles? Because they don't have the law, right? Now, Jeremiah 10 in verse 23 says, I know, O God. It, that is, is not in the, is not in a man's way, right? It's not in a man's way to direct his own steps. He can't do it, right? Just, there's no way possible. It's not in himself and it's not in a man's way who walks to direct his own steps. It's an absolute impossibility. Man needs law. Okay? So now go back to Roman, uh, uh, Romans 2 and verse 14. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law, let's, let's say, read it this way. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law of Moses do instinctively the things of the law of Moses, these not having the law of Moses are a law to themselves in that they show the works of the law of Moses written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So we're not talking about their their conscience in the sense that the conscience is something that, well, if your conscience doesn't bother you, you're excused. No, that's not what the Bible's talking about, okay? Because a man can harden his conscience, and a man can sear his conscience, right? So First Timothy, let's look real quickly, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 2. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy, liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So they can sear their conscience. In other words, things that would, would bother any normal human being just it does, doesn't bother me. So therefore, my conscience doesn't def- excuse or rather doesn't condemn me. If it doesn't condemn me, am I innocent before God? Well, well, that's another issue, isn't it? Now, now turn over to Mark chapter eight. What if my heart is hardened? What if, what if you know God has been trying to tell me uh, something for a long, long time, but my heart is hardened, and so when I stand before God, I say, "Well, God, I, I, I didn't get it. My heart was hard." Well, Mark eight. And I'm sorry, I think I said Matthew. Mark chapter 8 and verse uh, 14. Mark chapter 8 and verse 14. Listen to what it says. And they had forgotten to make, to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? So he says, you know, if you harden your heart, then that's the only way you're not going to see this. So what if we raise up a bunch of children to be ruthless? In other words, so that they, you know, the whole idea, the innate laws within us, you know, do not murder, do not steal, do not kill, do not lie. Those things are within us. We grow, raise these folks up so they, it doesn't even bother them. Are they excused before God? Because they grew up ruthless. 
they grew up in a way that they didn't they didn't believe these laws or understand these laws or or they couldn't conceptualize these laws. Well, the answer is absolutely not because there is a law. Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one. So there has always been, this is important, there's always been a law of morality that's existed among all men. It is not necessarily written, but it actually is written in the Bible. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to begin over the next uh, maybe couple of lessons. We're going to look at that law written as it's expressed to us. And then you can say, oh, now, now I see it, right? Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So God spoke in this time period called the patriarchal dispensation or time period. He spoke to the fathers, right? We might think, well, so that means he only spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. But that's not what Hebrews 1 tells us. Hebrews 1 says he spoke to the fathers. Which fathers? All fathers. So let's go back and let's take a look at that. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Remember, we do not have the law of Moses yet, so we're going to start there. We'll start in this patriarchal dispensation. There is no law of Moses so how does God justify, if there's no law, Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created on the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky for I'm sorry that I have made them. The question is, how did they know what wickedness was? Because God told them. God told them. Back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4. We have to remember that God spoke to them. God told them what he expected of them. People struggle when they go back and they read, like maybe um, Cain and Abel, and they go, oh, you know, you know, no one, Cain didn't know what he, Cain knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Genesis uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. We studied this over in our our class on Wednesday night some time ago. And we looked at this in depth. But verse 4. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock uh, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became, excuse me. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Well, Cain uh, was angry at God because God did not accept what Cain offered. But Cain did not offer to God what God told him to offer. He knew exactly what he was doing because God told him. You say, well, yeah, but it's not written. Well, it is written because God is just, right? God wouldn't condemn a man that is innocent. 
Cain was not innocent, and we don't have time to deal with that, but we, maybe one day I'll just preach a whole sermon on, on Cain. But let's go to first, uh, John chapter three. We'll look at just one ver- one chapter, uh, if you will, two verses on this idea of Cain knowing exactly what he was doing. It was premeditated, willful sin. Someone said you're being hard on Cain. Well, it's either be hard on Cain in truth, or call God a liar. And God is not a liar. First John chapter 3 verse 11, the Bible says, For this is the message which uh, you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So, how do we determine righteousness and evil or wickedness if we don't have a law? The point is, they had a law. And it was very, very clear of that law. Again, God is not telling us what that law is. You have to read in between the lines to understand the law that God gave to humanity. Go back, if you will, Genesis again, chapter uh, 4, and look at Lamech. And listen to what Lamech has to say about Cain's sin. He says, remember, this law, this unwritten law that we don't have, do not murder. He says in, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, And Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. What was wrong with that? See, they knew something was wrong. They knew that he had violated, Lamech knew he violated some law of God. He speaks of murder. How do they know about murder? The Bible doesn't say in Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, it doesn't say thou shalt not murder. But how do they know the word murder? How do they even understand that? See, sometimes uh, the evolutionary teaching, unfortunately, has plagued us a little bit. We start thinking again, oh, these were cavemen. No, no, they weren't cavemen. They were men of intellect. God communicated with them. And Adam wasn't born a baby. He was born a full-grown man. So was Eve as God created her and created him. Look at Abimelech. We've traveled further down south. Genesis chapter chapter 20. We're going to look at Abimelech and then we'll end and we'll come back, Lord willing, next week and, and look at a, a ton a ton more of, of these. I want you to listen to what's being said. And I want you to try to understand what's going on. This is, this is south, way, way, way south out of the, the promised land down by Mount, maybe Mount Sinai, somewhere close to that area. There's a man named Abimelech. God has already told Abram to leave his fathers, leave his, leave his family and go, go to a place that I'll show you. He's venturing and traveling so far. He's way, way down south. And when he gets down south, you know the account where he says, she's my sister, right? Now, now listen, to, listen to the account. Verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there to the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. And there he journeyed in Gerah. And Abraham said, Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. And God, But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is Mary. Now, Bimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will thou slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, 
He is my brother in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands. I have done this. So God said to him in his dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have done this. And I also have kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So, God says, Abimelech, you know, the woman you have is not yours. Well, they honored marriage back in those days, right? They honored marriage back in the How do they know about all that? And then, and then Abimelech, he comes up, well, wait, first she said, I know she's married, but no, no, that's not what she told me. He, he told me that she was his sister. And then he says, God, you know, you know my integrity. I've done this in the integrity. Integrity, character. How do you judge integrity when there is no law? There has to be a law to judge by a man's, if you will, integrity. So he says, you know the integrity of my heart. I've done this. And God says, yes. It is by your integrity. And so for that reason, I have kept you from sinning. Sinning? What kind of sin? In other words, what I want you to understand as you read through the text, that God's law is interwoven throughout this, all the way from Genesis, all the way into the New Testament. And we're going to look at it from Genesis all the way into the New Testament. And we're going to try to get a good understanding about, about the other people, those who were not called children of Israel, those who were not following or under the law of Moses, as we just finished the Sabbath, those who were not commanded to keep the Sabbath day. What about the other people? And that's what we're trying to discover more information about today. God has given us a law. On Judgment Day, the beautiful thing about it is the law that God has given us is written today, the New Testament. And that's the law we're going to be judged by. And so when you look into your heart, you can, you can ask yourself as you speak to God in your prayer, God, please show me. Show me where I need to change. Show me, God, where I'm off in my relationship with you and help me to make those changes to be better, to be what you want me to be. God has given you all the information. It's written. We don't have to dig and search for it or seek it out. It's right here recorded in the New Testament. And God said, if you want to be saved, here's how you do it. Number one, if you're not a Christian, you hear his word, you believe it, you repent, you confess, and you baptize. You die like Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you raise up because God raises you up into a new man. And then you stay faithful until the day you leave the earth. That's written and that's recorded. When I'm giving you an information, I don't even know how important it is, but I figured we'd talk about it leaving the Sabbath day. But what is important is your soul. And I pray, God, that your soul, your life is aligned with God. The lesson is yours. Praise God for your blessing, for being with us, and for allowing me to bring to you uh, a message from God's Word. Thank you.